and welcome to the Nitty Gritty Reviews podcast. I am Rachel, and today I'm here with a guest co-host, Tristan. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about the 1988 Halloween horror comedy Tim Burton classic, Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Now, before we uh, really even get into the introduction for this movie, I do want to address the fact that the audio quality for the last couple episodes has been not ideal. If you follow me on uh, Follow Gritty Films on uh, social media, I've addressed it a little bit, but just wanted to let everybody know uh, I'm having some trouble with my equipment um, and I, I'm working really hard to get it fixed and get back to uh, some better sound quality. Right now I'm using an older setup, uh, which works well enough, but not ideal. So I just wanted to get that out of the way, let everyone know I'm working on a better setup. Uh, Season two, when that starts up, uh, is going to be much better. When is season two going to start up? Is there a specific date or is it like three episodes from now or? Uh, It's going to be mid-January. Okay. So it's going to be this episode is going to wrap up the Halloween episodes and that little chunk. And then there'll be two more Marvel Mondays to wrap up phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then a little bit of a break and then jumping into season two, uh, which I'm really, really excited about. I've got a huge list of you know, lots of different guests, lots of different movies. We're working really, really hard on the uh, audio, audio quality. Going to get that up. Uh, so it should be, should be a really good season. I'm really excited. But I'm also really excited to talk about Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else is excited to talk about Beetlejuice? This guy right here. I just pointed both my thumbs at myself. Yeah, you did. Um, and that, that leads us right in. I know this is a, a cult classic movie, but I did not realize how much you liked this movie until we were watching it today. Uh, you want to talk a little bit yes. about that before we delve into the grid? Well, first of all, I want to apologize to you, Rachel, that you could not hear the movie because I was quoting it so much. And it was like, I was like 99% right on quotes. There were a few and missed words here and there, but yeah. yeah. And I haven't seen this in maybe a decade? I'm going to guess about seven years, because I'm pretty sure okay. we watched it together. Okay. But I'm not positive. But I, based on the vagueness of the memory, if it did happen, it would have been when we were first dating, which would have been seven to eight years ago. Yeah. Well, either way, it's been a hell of a long time. And I've had a lot more time to think about movies and dialogue and lighting and all that. And, uh... Um, you know, I've dated a film major for several years <laughs> now, and I've had many, many, many hours of discussions about these things. Yeah. So I'm looking at it from a slightly different lens. And also, like, the first few times I saw this, I was just some dumbass teenager, 15 13, 17, 18, whatever. There's a scene where someone's reading a newspaper and I'd like looked at the headlines because at the time, at at the previous times I saw this movie, I didn't realize like you can look at like the headlines and like the the subtle details that the props people throw in. Yeah. Like I didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't (laughs) know you could read the things that are in front of you. (laughs) That's how stupid I was. (laughs) But now, hopefully I'm less stupid, and hopefully I have a few things to say. Well, I know I have quite a few things to say. (laughs) Hopefully I have some smart things to say that won't be cut out. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, this is a movie I don't have quite that same relationship. I probably only seen it a couple of times before today. Um, pretty sure once with you about seven or eight years ago. And I feel like maybe once with my sister when I was a teenager. And that might be it. This may have only been the third time I had ever seen this movie. Um, but I do love Tim Burton. I love his visual style. Uh, I like my Nona Ryder a lot. There's, it's got a lot going for it. Um, so I'm pretty excited to to delve into the grid. Before we do that, though, I'm so bad at introducing movies. I'm going to actually remember this time, <laughs> even though it's a little bit late. Uh, so this is Beetlejuice, 1988, as I said before. And this is directed by Tim Burton and is written by Michael McDowell and Warren Skerrin. Might be totally wrong on that pronunciation. And it is starring a baby Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Winona Ryder, and Michael Keaton. All right, I remembered it for once. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Off another... the top of your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. wow. That is uh, something I'm going to get better at in season two. I'm going to have a checklist for my introductions, and I'm going to actually remember to introduce each movie, because uh, season one has been pretty lax on that. Um, but anyway, all of that said, is there anything else you would like to say about this movie before we delve into the grid? I love this movie. Always have. Always will. Saw this in my early teens. I remember thinking things and feeling things about Winona Ryder after seeing this, so I was, I was probably a little older than 10. 10 to 15, somewhere around there. All right. I loved it then, I love it now. For more reasons. <laughs> I was going to say, remember that. who you're talking to here. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, which wasn't creepy at all. No, I looked it up. She's 10 years older than me. That's not creepy. Anyway, uh, so first category of the grid, we've got writing, plot, and genre. Do you have any outliers for this category? Anything that rated either quite a bit higher or quite a bit lower than anything else? I do not. All right. Uh, I don't have any... I wouldn't say anything is significantly lower or significantly higher than anything else, but I do have a perfect 10 in here, uh, which is the highest of anything. Okay. Uh, and my perfect 10 was for genre cliches, tropes, and twists. Um, this movie just does a lot of really interesting things as far as like, okay, this is a horror comedy that in and of itself is kind of rare-ish. Okay, horror comedy? I never thought of it that way, but okay. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's, you know, a horror comedy with elements of, you know, like fantasy-ish. Although even then, like the fantasy quote-unquote elements are still ghosts and really just ghosts. Um, yeah. Which really falls much more in line with, with horror. Uh, so it's doing interesting stuff there. And then it just has just really interesting uh, blend. Like it's got gothic elements for sure. And then it's got... Here it comes, you're going to laugh. It's got the, the German expressionist yes. vibe that uh, Tim Burton's movies always has that I'm just a sucker for. Uh, for anybody who loves Tim Burton, if you have not seen The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, go watch it. It's a silent film. It's not for everybody. But if you like the visual style of Tim Burton, go watch that movie or any other German expressionist movie, really, because it's... It's one of the most pretentious things I've ever said, but his movies do yeah. uh, look very German expressionist inspired, and uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. I said it for with the Nightmare Before Christmas one too, uh, but it's more so with this one. I feel, um, just because this one is more horror-ish than Nightmare Before Christmas, and a little bit more mature than Nightmare Before Christmas as far as the age level of when people be watching this movie. 
I feel like it's a little bit on the older side. Especially in retrospect. It's a PG movie, but, like, they drop two F-bombs. They say shit. Like, there's... He honks his crotch at one point. Like, there's yeah. there's well, mature stuff in this movie for a PG movie. I think we can all agree things were better in the 80s. <laughs> if you love F-bombs and honk honk with your crotch. <laughs> but regardless, uh, the straight a little off topic. But uh, You just can't help yourself from talking about German expressionism. I mean... There's one of the... That's... Yeah. Um, so I definitely, definitely gave the perfect 10 to... Genre cliches, tropes, and twists. It's it's good stuff. Um, okay, wow. I like it. And it it really, I mean, there was uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the first one. That is his first big hit. Yeah, that was, I, can tell. I mean, it was his first, he did a ton of short films starting as early as the 70s. Yeah, like 71 and mm-hmm. on. Were, yeah, were, but then 85 was, was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then yeah. 88 was Beetlejuice. And I mean, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, there's definitely still the same elements. It's definitely still the same visual style, um, but still a very different type of movie. And I feel like <laughs> yeah. this movie shifted him into the more like gothic horror elements. Although I don't think I've actually ever seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure in its entirety. So I could be way off base there. I know the visual style is still there. It's still very Tim Burton. Yeah. But I feel like this is the first like, oh, this is Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. Aside from the shorts, I'm sure there are shorts in there that I haven't. I haven't seen any of them. I don't think, but I'm sure those. Obviously, he still had the same yeah, visual this, style. This is the first time that Hollywood said, "Here's ten million, forty million, a hundred million, however much." I doubt it was that big of a budget. Yeah, I it was. Although there was a lot going on, but anyways, here's here's a bunch of money. Yeah. Do your thing. I th- I think this is the first big time that happened. Oh, yeah. This was actually, this is going, I don't know where else to talk about this, so I'm going to talk about it now because it's kind of along those same lines. Did you know that all of the actors except Gina Davis refused to do this movie at least once because they're like, it's too weird. I'm not doing that. (laughs) That is awesome because this movie is weird. Even Winona Ryder, who was just like a kid who had been in like one or two things before this. I think I could be wrong on that, but I think she'd only been in one movie before this. Was this before or after Heather's? Oh, before. It's had to have been before. Okay. Heather's was Heather's was early 90s. I think that was 94 oh, okay. or 93, yeah. depending on if you go by the Italian Film Festival release date or the theatrical release date. That wasn't like a trick question. I wasn't like nerd keeping <laughs> you, but okay. It's just fresh on my mind. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just thought it was man. funny that even like the kid who had been, although when they say why not a writer, it very well could have been her manager being like, I don't think you should say yes to that. Like, yeah, like, who knows I mean, who was pulling the strings there, but... I mean, we'll get into this later, but if you read the script, like, some dead guy who, like, sh- coughs loonies into his lapel, <laughs> like, like, this movie's so fucking bonkers, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally get that. I can totally say, like, hey, kid, this movie's bonkers. This is crazy. This is some weird shit. If you do this, you're gonna be, like, the weird girl, and no one likes the weird girl. And then she actually Winona's did get right. made fun of in high school after yeah. doing this movie for exactly that reason. And then I heard. Right, Winona, yes, Winona's writer, <laughs> all the Winona writers are like, yeah, whatever. I'm the weird girl. I'm going to be the word weird girl. And, you know, I'm going to do strange things now. But then 30 years later, I'm going to do stranger things. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself right now. 
I thought of that as I was saying it. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Correct. <laughs> so what were your your thoughts on this category now that we've got my high point out of the way? Writing, plot, and genre. Oh, the genre cliches, tropes, and twists? Well, that's what that was my high point. I was asking what were your high points. Oh, yeah, just the writing thing. Yeah, that was my high point. I get it a 10 out of 10. Oh, for the cliches, tropes, and... Yeah. We're, like, not on the same page. Also, also all of the writing. 10, 10 out of 10. Spoiler alert. You gave, you gave perfect 10s down yes. the line for writing, plot, and genre. Okay. I, I kind of surprised myself with that. But I could not think of anything negative to say about any of these cat, uh, any of these subcategories. All right. So I... I, I kind of hope that you would give your scores first so that maybe I would adjust my scores. Or not. I mean, I'm not going to go through every okay. single category, but I will say the lowest that I gave was for plot structure, which I still gave a 7 out of 10. It still exceeded expectations, but it just seemed a little on the simple side, or maybe that's not quite the right. Because like you said, there was a lot going on in this mm-hmm. movie, and it's weird. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. And yet... I don't know. I just feel like like it just exceeded expectations. I don't really have I don't think I have a good argument to change your mind from going lower than a 10. I, I all I know is that it wasn't perfect for me. It just still strong score. Seven out of 10 exceeds expectations. OK. Is there anything that could have they could have done differently to boost the score or anything? Because because it seems like there's nothing specific that they did to lower the score. no. But I mean, I start I start my scores at a five and then I kind of go up or down from there. So it still got up like it's yeah. still it's not just down the line. Meh. Yeah. It, OK, that sounds good. It got, you know, got a couple extra points for for being original and being weird <laughs> and, and not having any plot holes like everything was. Oh, yeah. Was pretty cohesive. It just I don't know. I couldn't really I couldn't rationalize going much higher than a seven. Or any higher than a seven, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you can change my mind. Probably not. <laughs> uh, I think for this movie, my default is a very, very high score. Uh, I think I can justify it. I, I don't, like, if you ask me why does Outer Goals get a 10 out of 10, I think I could justify it. I did think, I didn't give it a perfect 10, but I did think the... The Outer Goals is an interesting section for this one because, I mean, every character does have really unique outer. Like, they're very yeah, simple. Yeah. They're very basic. It's definitely the kind of thing we've seen before. Like, you've got a teenage girl who just moved and doesn't want to be there. Right. My whole life is a dark room. One big dark. Sure. Yeah. Classic. Classic <laughs> Lydia. Ugh. But yeah, so you've got the classic teenager, doesn't want to be there, her parents just moved. You've got the dad who, like, I don't really know what his outer goal was. I feel like no. it was explained, but... His, his whole thing was, like, he was, like, the, the big shot in the real estate industry in New York or Gotham City, which we'll get into a few years later in Batman. Yeah. Also directed by Tim Burton. But anyway, but his thing was like, he's tired of that. He was is burnt out. So now he's like in that room where Otho describes it as delivery from L.L. Bean. <laughs> like this is like the, the, the dad who just wants to read books about birds and look through his binoculars at birds. And <laughs> he's just bird watching and surrounded yeah. by wood and books and very low stakes, very calming. I, I guess I'm interrupting your 
your description of the outer goals, but uh, well, for that me, makes it sense, seems though. like, and, and I actually took a note of this. Uh, my note is goals or archetype question mark. So I don't know if these are really outer goals or if they're just like like ways of signifying this is who this person is. I mean, it can be both for sure. Okay. I mean, like with Lydia, she's the the sullen teenager yeah. who doesn't want to be embarrassed by her yes. te- by by her teenagers and <laughs> who's embarrassed by her parents. Yeah. Moved to a new town, doesn't want to be there. Although, like they said, they're like, well, she was miserable in New York. She's miserable here. Like I don't even think it was a location thing, but she's just the. The stolen teenager. It's a character thing. Exactly. Yeah. So so I, I kind of merged the two together that, yeah, these are all very archetypical characters. But that's fine. That's not... that. That's totally cool. That's great. That's awesome. That's one of the things that makes this movie really fun, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say for this category? I don't really have anything specific, and I don't want to go through every single subcategory. Perfect tens. All tens. Uh, mine was, this is going to be an unusual movie. Usually I'm a little higher than yours. Uh, mine came out to an 8.5 even. Pretty, uh, on the lower side of outstanding, but still outstanding. All right, so speaking of archetypical characters, that's going to bring us to the next category then, which is going to be writing characters. Uh, any outliers for this one? Is it another perfect tens down the line? It's not perfect tens. It's close, though. All right, what brought it down? The nines? It's all nines and tens for me. Which one's got nines is what I'm trying to ask, I guess. Uh, all right, so I'll go down the line. Uh, first is character inner needs. I had a hard, hard time telling what was an inner need and what was an outer goal. I mean, I think with this movie, like you have Lydia, who's very unhappy and like wants yeah. to be dead and all that stuff. And she has to learn to find joy in life. And then at the end of the movie, she... You know, we kind of see that maybe she's making friends and then she's having fun doing silly things with her ghost right. parents or with, whatever. With the help of some ghosts, you can enjoy life. <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of her inner need is to learn to take joy in things, which by the end of the movie, I think she does. And the mom needs to learn to be invested in things other than her art, whether it's you know, her husband who's burnt out and wants to find this new life. And she's just so focused on like, well, I'm going to redecorate the house and then focus on my sculptures. Mm-hmm. And like she ignores her daughter, stepdaughter, I guess. So I think she needs to learn to, to focus on other people. And I don't know. The dad has a goal in there somewhere, I'm sure, a need, I guess, yeah. to recharge because he's burnt out. Yeah, everyone has goals. I have a hard time distinguishing. Well, those were needs, what I was just or saying. Or needs. Yeah, needs, goals, I, I guess... I, I oftentimes have a hard time distinguishing between inner needs and outer goals. And I think that's especially apparent with Tim Burton films because there's a lot of like archetypical characters or cliche characters. So yeah, we have the uh, uh, the burnt out business dad, the sullen teenage girl. Like I, I have a hard time telling how much of that is outer goal or inner need. And I think that the, the Tim Burton films kind of, because it's so archetypical, it's the archetype of the dad who, who needs to get away, who needs to leave behind the New York rat race and enjoy the New England uh, tiny one road town thing. I think a, I think a good way to distinguish between 
outer goals and emotional needs. Like the outer goals are conscious. So the dad consciously moved the whole family to this New England town so that he can recharge. Like that's his outer goal. But then the emotional need would be what he subconsciously needs, which in this case I think is, I mean, his character is not the most developed. He's he's much more archetypical than some of the others. Well, yeah, that was part of my point is that they're, they're but archetypes. I'm, they're not super developed. But anyway. But continue. they still have, there's still that distinction between outer goals and emotional needs. Like with Lydia, like her outer goal is to help the ghost scare her parents. But her emotional sure. need is to learn to enjoy where she is in life. Learn to enjoy where she is in life. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I do think for me for this category, I only gave it an 8.5. I liked what this movie did with a lot of the the inner needs and especially the way they worked with the outer goals. Um, but I felt like the the characters of the ghosts, Barbara and what was Alec Baldwin's character's name? Adam. Um, so yeah, so Barbara and Adam, I felt like they could have been, I don't know, there could have been more of an emotional need there. I mean, I do think they hinted at, at least while they were alive, like they wanted a family, they wanted to fill this house up with, with kids or at least have a kid. Like they, you know, that's hinted at and then they kind yeah. of, they get attached to Lydia because presumably because of that. So I mean, there's stuff hinted at, but like, I don't know, I feel like maybe it could have been like they need to accept that they have died or they need to, it could have been explored a little better. And I think what it comes down to, I think they needed to, I guess in a way, accept that they died, but rather than accept the death, it's like, oh, we need to accept that this other family moved into our house and we need to just learn to coexist. Yeah. That kind of seemed to be, which isn't that exciting of a, especially for ghosts, it's not that exciting of an inner need. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard for them to have an inner need within this movie because uh, there was even a scene where they said, we'd be okay with other people living here if they were more like us. Sure, which goes into the inner need being that they need to coexist with people who are different than themselves. Yeah. I just think it could have gone a little deeper than that. But still, 8.5. I still gave it an outstanding score. Um, but I couldn't really go much higher than that because I felt like okay. I felt like it was a little lacking. Okay, well, I give it a 9 out of 10. That's pretty close. So, yeah, I guess I pretty much agree. So let me give uh, my outlier because I do have a pretty low score. Well, it's not pretty low, but compared to everything else. Um, for character development, I gave that a 6. Mm. Which is still, I mean, that's not the high end of meets expectations. It's not bad. Um, it's just, especially for this movie, it's definitely on the weaker side. Okay. I just felt like, I mean, Lydia's pretty well developed. We definitely get, I mean, she's very archetypical, but that's okay. I mean, this is basically a fairy tale about death, which I'm totally on board with. So fairy tales have archetypical characters. Um, so I'm totally on board with that. And, and Beetlejuice, I feel like we get just the right amount of him. If we got yeah. any more, it would be way over the top. Um, so we get just the right amount of him. But I felt like we could have gotten a little bit more depth with the parents and even with, with Barbara and Adam. I mean, even just little things like why was this house so important to them? Like, I feel like if I were to die today and I came back as a ghost and I was in this house, like... Yeah, like this is where I live. This is my house. I live here with you. Like there's sentimental value to it. Yeah. But like if another if I saw another family move in and like paint the walls a different color, I wouldn't be like, but those were my walls. 
I painted them that shade of gray or whatever. Like, I'd be like, okay, this is weird sharing a space with someone. This is a weird situation, but like, I'm a ghost. I'm dead. They moved in. That's what happens when people, like, I feel like, I don't know. On the other hand, did you see how bad those walls were? Like, that's the spray paint speckled uh, stone texture. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good, but still. I just don't think I would feel the need to scare someone out of the house because of ugly walls. Like, eventually they'll move or they'll die and someone will come in and be like, damn, those are ugly walls and they'll repaint them. Like, and I'm not saying that they had, I'm not saying that their response was unreasonable. I'm just saying I would want to know, like, what is it about this house that was so special to them? Why are they bound to this house? That's true. Like, I just want to know a little bit more about them and their lives before they die to know why they're reacting the way they do after they die. And it's a pretty short movie. I feel like they could have easily added 10 minutes. Yeah, that's true. They they do they do kill the main characters within like 10 minutes, maybe. Yeah. And, and we see that they're like a happy young couple and the baby dad <laughs> uh, has his little, little man project in his attic with his little... Uh, uh, model of the city. <laughs> it's not even a city. The model of the street that they live on, really. It's like the whole town. They have like town hall in there. Yeah, and the everything. whole town, which is the street that they live on, <laughs> which will show up many times in all of these categories, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think they do a good job of painting a picture of like this is the happy young couple, the New England, beautiful, simple life. I think they do a really good job of painting that picture, but they don't say like, Maybe they inherited this house. Yeah. Maybe uh, one of them grew up in this house. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe one of them spent 10 years on Wall Street to save up to buy this house and then they retired. Or I, I, I don't know. I, I think Adam owns the hardware store because he like walked in and like helped himself to everything. So yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know. Maybe this, this house has been in the family for five generations or something. I don't know. They didn't really delve into that. I don't think it's super important, but I agree they didn't really they didn't really explain it. I don't know if super important is how I would label it, but it is something that I want. Because even at the very beginning, like you see the neighbor Jane come and she's like, oh there's this yeah. couple that wants to buy our house. They'll give you so much money. Don't you think you should do it? And they're like, go away. We don't want to sell our house. Like we're not going to do it. Why? Someone comes in and offers you a buttload of money. Like, like I'm not saying there's not a good reason. Money doesn't. Money's not always, you know, the right incentive. But usually there's a counter incentive. It's like, no, I like my my memories in this home are worth more than that. Or or my my heart or, you know, whatever. Maybe they restored the house. Maybe it was crap when they first bought it and they restored it. He does own a hardware store. I don't know. Right. That that actually changed my mind. That's that's a perfect set up for saying this was my grandmother's house we're not yeah gonna sell. Or, exactly you just need one line or, or 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 adam has spent 10 years restoring this house we're not gonna sell it you're right yeah you, the, that was the perfect setup and then she's like no fuck you yeah pretty much she closed the the shade on her face yeah that's true that's good so i did give i had two perfect tens in this category and i have a hunch they might be the same ones you gave perfect tens to but character likability and dialogue perfect okay 
Well, maybe those aren't the same ones you gave a perfect 10 to. But I thought for character likability, I, both of these actually I considered giving 9.5s to. And I was like, you know what? I really kind of think they're perfect. Like with character likability, this movie would not have the cult following that it has. And it would not have been popular to begin with if the characters were even a little bit unlikable. Or at least yeah. unlikable in ways they're not. Because like the, the parents aren't really supposed to be likable. Sure. Beetlejuice, definitely not supposed to be likable. And yet, like, like you love seeing what the parents are going to do next, where it's like, oh, boy, this is cringy. What's what are they going to do? Okay, like, what yeah. weird thing are they going to do? And then like Beetlejuice, it's like, oh, great. How is he going to mess this up? What's he going to do? Like, there's just so even the characters you don't like, you, you don't like for exactly the right reason and in exactly the right way. Um, so, yeah, this movie would not have the legacy it had if if the character likability was not what it is. So I gave that a perfect 10. And then dialogue. I almost gave it a 9.5. And then I'm like, you are not the kind of person that just sits and quotes along with the movie. And you did that a lot during this movie. <laughs> yeah, again, like I said in the preface, before we, before we, we, even, before we even dived into the grid, <laughs> I am sorry, Rachel, <laughs> that I ruined the movie by quoting <laughs> like a third of it. You didn't ruin it. It just took me by surprise because you're not the type of person, even with movies you like, I've never, I've never seen you do that before. I'm like, man, this movie. Yeah. And like, it's good. To, like I said, I was going to give it a 9.5 anyway, just because it is so quotable and so unique and every, each character has their own way of speaking, which is just brilliant. But then you quoting along was enough to push it to a perfect 10 form. We're like, it must be perfect if Tristan can can memorize <laughs> it and quote along with it because you're not the type. Oh, you don't even know. We'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later on. You don't even know. <laughs> How about you? What were your perfect 10s? I gave a perfect 10 for character development. Okay. Because I thought each of these characters, we know who these characters are. We see how they act. We see how they interact with each other. We see how they change the landscape, how they change the house, how they change the walls. I instantly know who these people are. They do a good job of developing the archetypes that these people are. It's not super subtle. It doesn't need to be super subtle. I'm, I'm very happy with how that was done. I give it a 10 out of 10. All right. I, I cannot imagine a way to make it better. Not even throwing in a line about the house. Yeah, now that you mention it, that would be a plus. That that would make things better somewhere, but there's so many high scores that I don't <laughs> know. Anyway, the other one was character likability, which, yeah. Even if I don't like this character, like, I get it. I yeah. get why this character does what they do. Did you not give dialogue a perfect 10 for all of your quoting? <laughs> I gave it a 9 out of 10. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe I just don't quote this movie enough. <laughs> that must be it. You know what? I'm going to bump this up from a 9 to a 10 with the caveat that I aim to quote this movie more. <laughs> All right, look out world. Yeah. What am I worried about? You can't even change a tire. <laughs> That's going to be me three days from now. I'm going to say that. Can you change a tire? That's not... <laughs> you're getting off topic that's not the point <laughs> the point is i can quote a movie about changing a tire <laughs> so was there anything else about characters 
uh, and writing. I think that's about it for me. Was there anything you wanted to add? I rambled on quite a bit. I'm good. <laughs> what was your total? 9.6 outstanding. Wow, that is close to perfect. And yet again, I am lower than yours. 8.3. Oh. Still outstanding. Uh, on the lower end of it, but still outstanding. Some good writing in this movie. All right, so that's going to bring us to the next category of the grid, which is going to be acting and casting. What are your thoughts? I have a lot of good thoughts. <laughs> Why don't you start with what was not a perfect 10? Nothing was a perfect 10 for me. I did have two that were really close with a 9.5, and that was for casting main characters and extras, which seems a little bit high in retrospect. I know for okay. extras, but I was thinking for the extras. Um, and a lot of this isn't really, you know, it doesn't really come down to the casting so much as the aesthetics, but all of the dead people. But I mean, obviously not Beetlejuice mm. and not Barbara and Adam, but like sure. when they're in the waiting room and there's just these random people that don't talk. Um, just, just the look of all of those characters was perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, so it's really, I, I really think I was going more for the aesthetic, which there's a whole separate category for that. That's part of casting. So, yeah. So, I don't know. That was probably a little bit too high, but I stand by it. Um, and then casting main characters. I mean, like, not only is it just very well cast for this movie, but it builds up people that Tim Burton will work with again and again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I definitely... Secondary characters I went a little bit lower with, with an 8, just because I feel like once you start getting into, you know, the the people who aren't Lydia and Beetlejuice and Barbara and Adam, and I guess the parent... I I consider basically all six of those people to be main characters. I guess the okay. the parents... They're really probably more secondary characters. Although even the dad, I thought he was fine. I guess maybe that's a big part. Like, I love Catherine O'Hara. She was perfectly cast as the stepmom. Yeah, yeah. And the dad, I mean, the actor was fine. It was a fine performance. But as far as the casting goes, I feel like he could have been swapped out for someone else. And it's not like, oh, man, what could have been if only they had hired that actor whose name I don't know. I feel bad I don't know the actor's name. You're looking at me in a way that indicates you do not know either, so let me look him up. Jeffrey Jones. Who? The what? dad. Oh, yeah. I don't know who that is. Um, but I feel like he could have been swapped out for someone else, and it would have been fine. I don't know. The secondary characters, it just got a little bit more. Probably, mm -hmm. but... But I don't I feel did. that way about anyone else. Like, Catherine O'Hara, I wouldn't want to see anyone else in that role. Okay. And certainly all the main characters, I wouldn't want to see anybody else in those roles. But as far as secondary characters go, it's really just Catherine O'Hara who's the one that's like, I wouldn't want to see anyone else in that role. And all the other secondary characters, I'm like, they were good. Still gave it the category an eight overall, but no one else that I felt was like, oh yeah, that was that was great casting. Well, apparently I still thought it was great, but <laughs> it, was, it exceeded expectations and was on the very high end of it. Yeah, okay. How about you? What were your perfect tens? Uh, all of the casting. Main characters, secondary characters, extras. All right. Yeah, it was all, it was all perfect. There was no point in which I thought, like, oh, that's... No, that's bad. No, don't do that. And there was no point in which I could think, here's a better alternative, or here's why that didn't work. 
Yeah. Uh, and and I'll admit, and I'll get to that when we talk about uh, overall enjoyment and extra credit. I'll admit I'm very biased to giving perfect tens or nines or at least at the very least eights for a lot of this. So that's like my my starting point for this movie because of feelings. But yeah, I just I'm very happy with all of them. Even in the extras, there was a. Uh, Ah, oh, I can't I can't believe I forgot her name. The their their caseworker in the afterlife. Juno? Juno, yeah. She slit her throat and all that. Um she's she's like a like an old school Hollywood actress, like from the thirties and forties. And I I think that's really neat that here she is, slitting her throat, <laughs> doing paperwork in the afterlife. <laughs> if you kill yourself, you're a bureaucrat in the afterlife for all eternity, apparently. Yeah, I was very happy with all of the casting. Not with the acting, though? Face acting and line deliveries? Well, those are the two that got a 9 out of 10. They were only outstanding, not perfect. And I think a lot of that was that this movie didn't really rely on it. It didn't really, like, push that. Like, uh, when we watched uh, Her. Yeah. Like, there's a fuck ton of face acting and 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 so focusing so much on that and and having no nothing bad to say like that's a 10 out of 10 whereas this one yeah there's face acting here and there and it's pretty good i can't think of anything bad to say but it didn't really rely on that enough to necessitate a perfect 10 fair enough I had pretty similar thoughts, actually. I gave gave both of the acting categories an 8 out of 10, pretty much just for all the same reasons. I just went a little bit lower than you on them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought about yeah. going a little bit. I was going to do maybe an 8.5, um, but I just, eh, outstanding seemed a little strong. So I went on the high end of exceeds expectations, or I'm, yeah, high end of exceeds expectations. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add for acting and casting? Nope, loved it. All right, what was your total score? Acting and casting for me got a 9.6 outstanding. All right, mine was an 8.6 outstanding. This is going to be one of our biggest discrepancies, I think, at least as far as you being higher than me. Yeah. There's definitely, we've had some bigger discrepancies, but usually I'm higher than you. Something interesting is happening here. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's going to bring us into the cinematography categories. First, we have cinematography lighting. What are your thoughts on this one? For lighting, I overall thought very highly of it. I think that I really like the sort of realistic parts, which there's not a lot of bright lights. There's not a lot of dark shadows. It's 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 here's a young couple and their happy home. Here's the New York uh, invaders uh, doing their thing. I thought that was pretty straightforward. I really like that, like the weirdness of the lighting. After they're dead, Adam walks outdoors and he ends up in the uh, in the sandworm place, and 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 everything is super blue and super orange. Which I think was before that was a thing, right? I guess. Well, they turned it up a bit more than I had seen before this movie. Yeah. Uh, and which I think is completely appropriate because it's not real life. It's this bizarro, crazy, bizarro afterworld thing. So that's awesome that everything is overboard. Uh, and then a lot of the, the, the afterlife stuff uh, just has 
there, there's the bureaucracy scenes, like with meetings and waiting rooms and taking tickets and all that. And like the lighting on that was very bureaucratic. But then when they're outside of the house and there's like this weird sunset where it's super orange in the background, like blood orange in the background. And But I really like how before they die, it's very natural and New England and there's like bright green forests all around them and bright white buildings and rooftops. I really like that. Uh, and then after they die, it's not as clear. It's not as bright. Everything gets either very black and white or very black and white with a few accent colors like bright red uh, bow ties and or, or, or lipstick or whatever. That, that color scheme worked really well in the beginning and it works really well throughout the movie. That shift, uh, I really like it. I completely agree. I gave uh, gave pretty strong scores down the line for pretty much all the same reasons. Um, I definitely love the the contrast between the first, not even the first act, but just the first you know 10 minutes or so <laughs> and then the rest of the movie and then things like just relatively little things, I guess, where it's like they're they're steam cleaning or not steam cleaning, but using steam to get the wallpaper down. Yeah, yeah. And then while Lydia's walking up the stairs. Yeah, and it's like yeah. what, a, what a great excuse to get that beautiful yeah. shot. Cause like I've said it a million times on this podcast. Like I love it when they're when you can see the air. I always call it texture in the air, which I know is probably not the best description because it's not texture, but a visual texture, I guess. I'm a sucker for it. And a lot of time, like, yeah. we, we watch X-Files a lot. And I'm like, I don't even know where the steam is coming from, but I am all about it. Yeah. And so I love that, like, they probably could have gotten away with just being like, eh, it's a creepy scene. There's, like, fog machines. It's it's fine. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> addict, addicts have so much steam. <laughs> no, I, when I saw that, I immediately thought of you. And I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. And that made me happy. Yeah. So I just, I loved that. And, and then, like, the green light when they go through the door, like, that was just really well. I mean, it's a very yeah. subtle, I mean, it wasn't subtle visually, but as far as how they do it, like, it's, it's a subtle thing. And it's a very, very intentional, but just like, oh, yeah, just kind of slowly get some green light in there. Right. It was and then, very and effective. like, how do we see Lydia's face with the bright green, like, yeah. supernatural green on her face? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, it was little things like that that, or again, I don't know if little is the right word, but uh, the the touches like that that I just really appreciated. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I'll just say I gave eights down the line. I didn't go perfect ten on any of them, um, but I definitely thought, although you know what, I think it was outstanding. I'm gonna go eight and a half down the line um, to push it into the outstanding range. I'm not sure why I didn't do that to begin with. Because I, I would say it was outstanding. It was some, some really solid lighting, really, really got the, helped with the storytelling, helped mm -hmm. with the mood, like it looked beautiful, like it really did everything it was supposed to do. Uh, I can't really go much higher than 8.5 because I just, I've seen better and it, I mean, even like Nightmare Before Christmas, which I reviewed with Sammy a couple weeks ago, um, that was just some, um, just phenomenal, perfect lighting. And I don't think this quite, okay. quite goes... It is not quite pushed higher than an 8.5 for me. But I feel comfortable okay. bumping it up from an 8 to an 8.5. Yeah, there, there's one category of uh, cinematography lighting that I didn't score a perfect 10, and that's realism. Because okay. the, the shots 
that were like reality or as we living folks call them reality. Uh, there wasn't a lot of dark shadows or bright lights. It kind of reminded me of like a sitcom where everything is equally lit. There's no, there's no lights. There's no shadows. Which, which... Sure. When you say real life, are you talking about like the first 10 minutes of the movie or are you talking about anytime there's not ghosts? Well, well, definitely the first 10 minutes. Because I think that's part of what, why I gave it a higher score is because I like that it was kind of flat lighting, kind of, you know, that very okay. even tone looks kind of like a sitcom. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, okay. yeah, because that's one movie. We don't see that movie. Like, like, it's almost like a Hitchcockian turn where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, there's that. the movie where there's a live and there's a happy couple and they want to have a baby. And that that's one movie. This movie is about them after they die. Oh, that's neat. I could totally see that. Like, here's the setup. It's a cute young couple. They're happy. They're like away from the, the rat race of New York and all that. And then like, they're dead. Here's Lydia. Exactly. The teenager. My whole life is a dark room. <laughs> One big dark room. I'm going to be hearing that for like the next month. I hope everybody listening to yes. this knows that. I've been hearing that since 1988. So, <laughs> or whenever I saw this, probably a few years after that. Um, yeah, that's, that's neat. I never thought about it like that. Either way, I scored it a little bit low because it didn't seem realistic in the scenes where it was reality real life living people especially compared to how over the top it was in the afterlife scenes and the beetlejuice scenes and, and whatnot so that is the only reason why this did not get perfect tens all right so when you say a little bit lower is that a nine instead of a ten that is correct <laughs> all right so what is that average out of the 9.8 9.9 what does that average out to for lighting, I gave it a 9.8 outstanding overall. All right. Yet again, I am just a little bit lower than you. 8.5 for me. Still outstanding. It's not quite as, as high as your score. So then that's going to bring us to the other cinematography category, which I think is going to have a much bigger discrepancy between us. And that's going to be cinematography camera work. Um, and I'll say right up at the top, I didn't really see a lot that was like super fantastic within the camera work. That's true. Um, I did give my highest was for mise-en-scene, which I gave a seven, which wasn't even really for anything particular that I could think of. I just feel like in general, the compositions were pretty solid throughout. And so I knocked that one up to a seven. Everything else I gave sixes down the line. I thought it was better than just meh, which is pretty much what I consider a five. Five is like, it's not really good. It's not really bad. Yeah. Um, so I gave it a little bit higher than that, but I couldn't really say that it exceeded my expectations. It was pretty much exactly what I expected. And I feel like with a movie as stylized as this and as weird as this, that's true. Um, there, there was potential. You don't want to go overboard. You know, I wouldn't want a whole movie that's just crazy stylized. Dutch angles everywhere. This isn't Thor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just felt like there's a little bit more potential for uh, especially things like camera movements, um, things like that. I didn't really see much of. So six is down the line, except to me on sandwich got a seven. That's kind of how I feel. Not kind of. That's exactly how I feel. Cause that's how I rated it. How about you? I'm guessing you scored quite a bit higher than me. I don't know about quite a bit. Uh, I basically agree with you. 
I think the camera work was functional. Sure. It did what needed to be done. It didn't get in the way. Uh, I can't think of a single scene where I thought, like, oh, that's bad camera work. Sure. That's bad movement. That's that's bad placement. That's bad mise-en-scene. There was no point where I was distracted or unhappy with it. But it was mostly it was mostly just putting a camera in a place to show what's happening. Yeah. It served the job. There was no there there was very little like artistic oomph. Which I feel like a movie like this I wouldn't say needs, but it totally could have gotten away with it. Because it's so bonkers. And I think and it's it could have so helped. crazy. Especially if you have like the the comparison of like when there's not ghosts around, have the camera work be the more steady, yeah, expected, and then like once Beetlejuice shows up, start throwing in a few things here and there. Again, I don't want a whole movie that's crazy camera angles. I don't want a whole movie where the camera's always in motion. Like I, I don't need that. Right, but they 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 did that with the like the lighting. I think once they died, like you get some yeah. crazy lighting. You get a whole scene there where there's just like blue lights. There's blue and there's black. And there's gradients in between. Yeah. And and there's another scene where there's red and there's black and there's gradients in between. Yeah. So I, I totally agree that you could do something like that. Change the camera lens, change the focus, whatever. Oh, they could have changed the camera lens when they go to Venus or wherever the sandworms were. Especially because those scenes, we'll get to this a little bit later, but the green screen, I mean, this was 1988. I don't fault it for it, but the green screen was pretty bad. And I feel like some creative camera work could have made it a little less distracting. I mean, you've got the stop motion sandworms and that's pretty awesome. I do love that Tim Burton touch. Yeah. And I do think it's timeless, even though, you know, yeah, it's not top of the line <laughs> CG, but it's it's charming and it's fun and it's stylized it, and it's it has aged well. Exactly. So I loved that aspect. Yeah. yeah. But then with that. That green screen in the background. I'm jumping way ahead. This is just blatantly talking about <laughs> editing now. Yeah. But I think it does go into camera work because I think one way to get around that would be to film at some different angles, different lenses, do something to draw the focus away from the background that was mm -hmm. obviously not really there. Yeah. I don't know. That's my take. Is there anything else you want to add for, for cinematography camera work? Uh, no, it's basically all sevens. Oh, it's actually quite a bit lower than I was expecting. Uh, it's actually going to be a pretty, pretty close scores for us then. Well, it was all sevens except for storytelling, which I bumped it to a nine. Oh, that's a. I thought big that bump. was outstanding. Okay. Basically, because the first few minutes it was basically natural, and then you have like the lighting and camera work that's uh, like the afterlife. And you have the lighting and camera work that's the, the bizarro world that the uh, New York artiste is bringing in. I thought they did a, a, a really good job with that. Okay. Uh, so what does your average come out to? For cinematography camera work, my average is 7.4 exceeds expectations. All right. Uh, I think this is the lowest for both of us so far. Mine came out to a 6.2. Uh, which also exceeds expectations, Whoa. but is on the lower end of it. Why are you that surprised? You heard my scores. That's crazy. I just felt like it could have pushed it a little bit further. and it I, been... I agree with that. I think it pushed it really far in a few scenes here and there. But not with camera work, I don't think. But they could have done more. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. 
Especially yeah. when they're like in the model, you have like camera movements and I don't know. Yeah, that was some of that might be that was technologically the, advanced for eighty eight, but yeah, that was one of the notes that I wrote down is that there was some camera movement, especially if there was a scene where um, Barbara and uh, Adam were uh, cr- uh, looking at the model where Beetlejuice was, and the camera like z- rotated around them, like it started facing That's them true. and that then one rotated cool. around them, and then when it be- when it went 180 degrees and it was pointing behind them there was like a bright light and then it continued to rotate until it was back in front of them and then by that time they were in the model that was cool i thought that was really cool yeah i thought they could have done much more of that yeah so i i i said i I made a note of that that's a high point maybe they could have had more high points yeah. Especially since they already decided, as far as I can tell, they already decided this movie is crazy. Yeah. This is some bonkers, weird ass shit that's going on. Yeah. Let's go weird with it. We we've gone weird with the lighting and the colors and the wallpaper and Yeah. The, the plot is just bonkers crazy. So let's let's move the camera. Yeah. And I mean that does get expensive too, so I'm sure some of it was more practical than creative. Yeah. But still, it. I try not to think of budget when it comes to analyzing things creatively because, eh, I don't know. Yeah, and and it, again, it's it's extra hard because this is one of Tim Burton's first. Yeah. Second big film. Yeah. Maybe first, second, first or second. I don't know how big Peewee's. Big enough is. to call it his first. Okay. I mean. Regardless if you consider it big or not, it was his first movie. Yeah. E- either way, like if Tim Burton made this now, which according to uh, the sources that I've checked up on, there is a Beetlejuice 2 in the works. They've been saying that for so long. They actually, yeah. like, as soon as this movie came out, it was such a hit in theaters that the studio was like, all right, let's do it. Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii. That was the, <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and and everybody was on board. Tim Burton was going to direct it. Winona Ryder was on board. Michael Keaton was on board. And then then uh, Tim Burton went on to do Batman and got distracted and never came back to it. He just lost interest. <laughs> there you but, go. Yeah, but there's been rumors. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. If, if it is going to happen, it's going to happen now because this, this is the age we're living in where all these long-awaited sequels are finally happening, for better or worse. And I think it could be good. I don't think it's all bad. People people talk about it like, oh, oh, these sequels. I'm like, they've been doing sequels since the silent film era. This is not a new modern-day thing. Suddenly there's sequels everywhere. Like, this, this is not new, and it's not all bad. You can still have really good sequels. It can also go really bad and be super cheesy and, you know, same old, same old, generic shit but if they ever do a, a beetlejuice sequel and tim burton's involved and my own writers involved and michael keaton's involved i think it would could be pretty cool especially with the budget you gotta know would be behind it oh yeah <laughs> you want a billion dollars here you go <laughs> yeah. but anyway that got a little bit off topic um so that's gonna bring us to our next category which we already dipped into a bit and that's gonna be editing and special effects so i guess we should I guess keep going with special effects since I kind of introduced that in the last category. I mean, I thought it was really great. I did. I I considered giving it, you know, somewhere between a nine and a 10 and that green screen 
I didn't yeah. dock points for it, but I couldn't. I guess I kind of did. It depends on your perspective, but I I couldn't see pushing it too much higher just because it was so distracting and so bad. And even with the technology they had, and even with the budget they had, like I said, just just throw in some better camera work, cover up the green screen a little bit, or just go to a desert. Again, budget, I know, but like just go to a desert and yeah. film. You wouldn't have the crazy sky, but there's enough other... I mean, there's a stop motion, claymation, whatever, worm yeah. chasing them. Like, that's weird enough. You don't need the crazy sky. Throw in some cool lighting. I, I, f- I feel like there were other options that could have made that scene look much less dated because it looked real dated. Uh, um, I agree. So so I gave editing, or I gave special effects, I mean, an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, I pretty much agree. Uh, I thought there were a lot of a lot of special effects that were very well done and very appropriate, and this movie would not be the same without them. But there were a few scenes here and there where I think even for the time, like they could have done a little better. Like I think uh, Dune. When did that come out? The um, it's like seventies, wasn't it, or yeah, early eighties? That's what I thought. Uh, like, sandworms are a big part of that story. <laughs> I liked the sandworms. I thought having the stop motion... Yeah, I like that. Like, I they, really they like could have done better, but it was very stylized, like, and intentionally so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely agree. Like, yeah. I like that that's a weird thing that's going on. And that was very Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, those sand scenes, it just kind of reminded me of, like, like when you first set up your aquarium and you have like sand and a little <laughs> bit of driftwood and you have like the like a like a bright blue sky uh plastic background that you tape around the back. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is the badassest uh aquarium ever. This is so cool. I I, I did get that feeling. Yeah. It was like random driftwood and sand and bitchin background <laughs> yeah but maybe that's what they were going for i don't know overall i gave editing and special effects very high scores um mostly nines how about you anything higher or lower than that i did i did all either sevens or 8.5s I'm a little lower than you um I mean, I thought everything was fine. Everything was handled really well. The two, the two higher scores were, were the special effects and then continuity and pace, uh, which was mostly for the pace. I just thought this movie had a had a really great pace. I agree. Um, which which is largely the writing, but I felt like the scenes were were cut really well together, and you know the runtime was was a good length. Like I said, it could have been a little bit longer with a little bit more exposition here and there, and I would have been happy. But that's purely writing, presumably. I guess they could have had it and deleted a scene or something. But um, but overall, I thought the editing was fine. Um, nothing that really pushed it for me, though. Okay. I, I like that you said that continuity and pace was really good because that was my high score. Uh, 10 out of 10. The only right. 10 in this category. All right. So I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm right because you agree with me. <laughs> So that's good. What was your overall score for the editing special effects? For editing and special effects, it came out to a 7.6. So it exceeds expectations on the higher end of that, but didn't get pushed into outstanding, despite uh, the outstanding pace and special effects. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> what was your score? Editing and special effects got a 9.2 outstanding. Much higher than you gave it. Yeah. This one I'm, I'm going to have a score that's going to make you cringe. Uh, next category is going to be sound design. Do you have any outliers on this one? I do. <laughs> all right. What is it? My scores are kind of all over the place. I don't even know if I can call anything an outlier because it's everything's pretty spread across the across the spectrum. Well, my lowest score is for overall sound mix. Me too. What Let's was... talk about that. Yes, that's a good good place to start. Let's start with that. What was your score and why? I had to give it a four. It was below expectations. It was a really uneven sound mix. There were, yeah. like, at the beginning of the movie, we just had to, like, crank it up. And I, I knew it was going to happen before any loud parts happen where I was like, as soon as they die, it's going to, like, the audio is going to go up, especially when Beetlejuice shows up. Like, it's going to get really loud. I can just tell this is going to be one of those audio mixes. Yeah. And sure enough, we turned the audio way up in the beginning and turned the audio up, turned the volume up. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, it's a good thing we're watching this in the middle of the afternoon. Because if we were watching this at night, I'd be like, we're going to keep the neighbors up. We're going to turn this down. Like, it was yeah. it was pretty loud. And, I mean, it was fine. We could hear everything. And I felt like, you know, it was at a decent volume to where we weren't going to be annoying our neighbors or whatever. And, like, so, I mean, I, I felt like it was fine by the end. But it was definitely uneven like we definitely had to crank up the volume to where we could hear everything but then the loud parts definitely and even there were even some parts where it wasn't even like action or like like oh beetlejuice is here now okay things are gonna get crazy it's louder now like it was like like when they opened the door for the first time and went to like the waiting room there was like music that played which was fine yeah. and and i liked the music we'll get to that in a bit but it was so loud. I was like, why are why is this music blasting right now? Yeah. It was just it was an uneven sound mix and I didn't like it. It was below my expectations. So four for me. Four. Oh. That was a delayed reaction. I said that already. But yes, four. It was below expectations. I wow. I really didn't want to go that low because I like this movie a lot and it does a lot of things really well and it always hurts to go with a below expectations score, but I cannot honestly say that it met my expectations. It was an uneven sound mix. Wow. That was your lowest too. What, what did you rate it? Seven? Yes. <laughs> wow, a four. Ooh, I'm going to be reeling from that how I, do you justify a seven it exceeded your expectations there there were scenes where i had a hard time hearing what was being said and for me that's over that overall that's like the main component of the sound mix yeah because i need to hear what people are saying because i assume that's important to the <laughs> plot i assume that's important to the characters i assume that's a thing i should hear and I mostly heard that. There are free parts here and there where it was hard to hear. Although I've watched this movie a few times. So I guess we agree that the sound mix was not perfect. <laughs> you yeah. gave it a four, I gave it at a seven. It's a pretty big discrepancy, but... But we both agree 
It's the least perfect part of sound. That is accurate. Uh, what else is not perfect for you? I, I didn't give any perfect tens in this category. Um, I mean, everything else was was fine. Pretty much everything was between a six and a seven, except for, I guess, my high-end outlier, which is going to be for score and soundtrack. That one I gave a nine out of ten. Okay, okay. I don't really have anything to add to that. I feel like it's mostly self-explanatory. Like, you've got... You know, it's a Tim Burton, Danny Elfman oh, yeah, yeah. team up. So, you know, the score is going to be good. You've got the banana boat song or whatever it's called. You've got yeah. that thrown in there for, oh, yeah. you know, that's classic. I mean, yeah, the score and soundtrack work together. It's really strong. I couldn't go higher than a nine personally. I didn't feel like it. It pushed into the perfect range, but I thought it was really, really strong. Definitely outstanding. Okay. So, yeah, that was actually the first thing that I scored. Like... While the opening credits were rolling, I'm like, let me pull out my iPad <laughs> and give a perfect 10 for soundtrack and music. Because this is absolutely 100% classic Tim Burton, Danny Elfman music. Yeah. Also, it's got like that weird Calypso music, which I, I don't even know why that makes sense. This is not Jamaica. This is New England. This is not... I mean, I guess it's like a young couple getting away from it all. And I guess the Caribbean music or Calypso is what you would listen to, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I just I, know originally it was going to, I forget what it was going to be, but it was going to be something else. And then Catherine O'Hara and the guy who plays the dad, I, I just looked up yeah. his name and I already forgot it. But they suggested to Tim Burton, like, how about this song instead? He was like, yeah, actually, okay. Yeah, At least that's, that's the story on IMDb trivia. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, like, it's totally weird and out there, but it fits. It works. I like it. I think the sound uh, and music is a 10 out of 10. Fair enough. Also, I gave sound effects a 10 out of 10 because there was a lot of Foley yeah. And a lot of uh, almost like cartoonish overtones. Yeah. So the first time I noticed the Foley was uh, after they died, which is what, eight minutes into the movie or whatever. <laughs> so they're walking into the room and there's like squishy water footprint sounds. And after they're dead, there's a lot of like cartoonish sound effects, especially when Beetlejuice shows up. Yeah. Like like they didn't even they didn't even bother with they're, they're just like this is a cartoon. It's a live action cartoon. Yeah. I thought that was really neat and really funny and really weird especially for something that's like a story about death and dead people and people dying and like a teenage girl who wants to die and and then you have like this guy who's been dead since for for what was, he said like 600 years or something. Something. He said he hasn't had any action in 600 years <laughs> or something like that. So I don't know. He's like 2,000 years or whatever. And and then there's just like these cartoonish sounds. Yeah. I thought that was really, really bizarre and really weird for such a, for so much darkness and serious to have like slapstick sound effects. Yeah. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I can't really disagree with anything you just said. I, I definitely 
liked the sound effects. I definitely thought that it did a good job of, of blending the wacky with the realistic. Um, I just didn't push it into perfect for me. It, it exceeded my expectations. It was really strong. I don't know, maybe it was a little bit too cartoony for me, or maybe it didn't go far enough. I honestly don't know exactly which direction I would prefer headed in. Um, I just know that it, it didn't, uh, I don't think I can call it outstanding. Um, I think also, I mean, it's hard. I mean, there's just, there's so many different types of movies and so many different types of sound effects. Because, like, when I think, like, outstanding or getting into the perfect range for sound effects, I think of things like... Like the Foley work on Jurassic Park. That's perfect. And this is nowhere oh, yeah. near that. I mean, it just it's, isn't. It's, but it's, it's also... It's a different game. Exactly. It's a different game. Yeah, it's definitely a different type of, of sound design. Definitely a very tight, very different type of movie. So, I don't know. But that's kind of where, where I was coming from. Is I'm like, well, I know these other movies that do a really, really good job with sound effects. And this is up there. It's definitely, I like the more cartoony aspect. I like where it takes the direction, or I, or I like the direction it takes, I should say. Um, but it just, I couldn't call it outstanding, personally. So I, I went with a seven. Wow, okay. Uh, I did knock down overall sound design because when they were in the real world, with air quotes, meaning when people were alive, and, and that's the viewpoint that we're taking, there was no like birds or cars or wind. Uh, it 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 almost felt like, and maybe this is intentional, and this is how the movie opens. It felt like a model of a city. I mean, is that a bad thing? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I mean, we only experienced that reality for ten minutes or so. Yeah. And and maybe that's maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's the point. This is. That reality is like a model thing. Maybe. I don't know. I just uh, docked it a bit because there's no sound to reality. Interesting. All right. So what was your, what did your average come out to for sound? For sound, my total came out to 8.8 .8 outstanding. All right. Uh, mine, this is one of my lower ones. I only gave it a 6.5. Exceeds expectations. What? Was Danny Elfman? Scorn soundtrack got really high. That got a nine, but everything else was was well. And then that the sound mix really brought it down. That four really really brought things down. But I I stand by it. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a fair score. So that's gonna bring us to a really fun category for this movie. Pretty sure you're not gonna have a higher score than me on this one. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Aesthetics. Uh, Pretty sure you're not going to have a higher score that than me. There's only one answer that you can have that excludes me from having a higher answer. I gave it perfect tens. Me too. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it's Tim Burton in and of itself that's almost guaranteed to get perfect yeah. tens down the line. I mean, even just little, like, hair. That's usually a hard category for me to judge unless it's, like, sci-fi. I mean, so, like, like, Lydia's stupid bangs. That should be the stupidest <laughs> thing. And it's, like, what a weird... Like, it almost looks like it could be from, like, the 20s, but then it's also this, like, weird modern... I don't know, it's like this weird, it's not a hairstyle that's ever existed, kind of can see inspiration from here and there, and it's just this weird, 
weird thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like weird bangs and like weird up. Yeah, like the hair weird... is up and weird and like tangled, like like she just got out of bed or like something. In the weirdest way, but she also has like these uh, like tarantula leg uh, <laughs> bangs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Everything that that is visual is so freaking weird. Oh yeah. Except for uh, the first ten minutes or so, where it's like the homie, uh, uh, the main couple, yeah, Adam and Barbara, and and it's like a homie getaway. It's this New England coast. Uh, there's like flower floral wallpaper. Yeah. Uh, like soft yellows, soft blues. Everything is very homey, very easy on the eyes. Uh, and then and then Lydia and, and everyone else shows up and absolutely different. Yeah. I do like, I mean, I think even in the beginning, though, even though it, it feels more realistic, like you still have like... Like, he's got his models that he wore. I mean, that's how we're introduced to these characters as we zoom in. Like, we're seeing the sprawling landscape. And then all of a sudden yeah. you zoom in and it's like, that's definitely a model, right? Like, are we supposed to be able to tell that it's a model? <laughs> oh, okay, good. It, it's literally a model. Okay. That's interesting. We see the model of the town and the citizens before we see the actual people and the actual town. Yeah. And I just love... I mean, geez, speaking of the model, like, like even from the very beginning, it's this weird, quirky thing. And then throughout the course of the movie, it gets quirkier. Like you have like after the accident, after they die, what's one of the first things he does? He adds a crash hole to the bridge. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the first things. That's not the first thing he does, because the first thing that I noticed is that he makes their funeral. Yes, he did that, it's, it's too. It's at the graveyard, and he has, like, a little wreath yeah. with a little name tag for Adam and Barbara. <laughs> like, why is that his first impulse? Like, <laughs> first of all, I love it, because I love yeah. characters who are just, like, over the top about some little detail, some little hobby, some little thing yeah. that makes them who they are. And, and this totally dives into it 100%. Yeah. And it's not like it's not like a joke. It's like, hey, haha, ha, look at this asshole. It's yeah. just like it's not even commented on. It's just this thing he's doing while yeah, while they're like, talking and having exposition going on. Yeah, it's almost like, well, yeah, of course that's what's happened. Yeah. It's it's almost like when you see a sitcom or something and uh, you know, there's you know, after the commercial break, there's the scene of the house. Yeah. And then you see the people in the house doing their thing. It's like after they die, here's the scene of him making his funeral like yeah uh, and and that plays through many times he does the scene with his funeral he does the uh, the crash hole through the red bridge yeah um yeah that model shows up so many times yeah and, and I, that's such a neat detail yeah and i love when they when they're looking for beetlejuice and they get small and they're in the in the model and yeah. then they're like like they find the tombstone it's like here lies beetlejuice <laughs> It's like, all right, I guess we got to dig. <laughs> like, they're digging in this graveyard. And you can see the layers. Like, it's like that weird foam fake graveyard. Yeah, like, 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 not egg, even... Egg, egg carton? Is that what it's called? It's something. something it's like, like it's like miniature egg carton, though. Like, it's not, it's not fake grass. It's just, like, green foam. 
Yeah. So you have that layer and then there's like a wood layer and almost like a insulation or something. It looks like, like it's like a layered thing, but it's crafts like, and, they're, and they're just digging the grave until they hit yeah, his coffin. Right. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like that layer of uh, like cardboard. Yeah. But from their perspective, it's like a foot thick. Yeah. Like there's so much attention to detail. Uh, uh, oh, man, it's so it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so much fun. This makes me really want to just watch The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari now, especially with you, so that I can show you, like, look what I'm talking about. I'm not just making it up. I'm not pulling this out of my ass. Like, this is, I mean, it is pretty pretentious. But I did Google it, because I was like, surely, I, like, this is, there's no way that I'm the only person who has noticed this correlation. So I did Google Tim Burton, and as soon as I started to type German, I just typed G, typed Tim Burton G. It was Tim Burton German Expressionism. And then I looked it up, and it's just like pages and pages and pages of like YouTube video essays on comparing German Expressionism, like silent film era films with Tim Burton. I'm like, okay. I mean, that kind of makes me sad because I'm like, I thought that that was like a really unique viewpoint. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, there's no way I'm the only person who notices this. And I am not. But. I stand by it. That would be more reason to stand by it. That was, that didn't make sense. Anyway. So yeah, perfect tens down the line for both of us for aesthetics. That's yeah. pretty easy. Uh, I just want to uh, point out a few of the notes that I have. Yeah. For sets and locations, uh, the homey versus New York artsy, uh, especially with like the wallpaper. Yeah. Like I said that like originally there was like a homey floral wallpaper everywhere and then they replace that with that spray on yeah uh the cans of uh uh black and white speckled stonework yeah and like the whole house which which i i guess is supposed to be like artsy but at the same time it feels like like cheapish like the, yeah. that's like cheap art like <laughs> yeah. it's not stone it's not marble this yeah. is like some high quality uh redwood and you're just spraying it with like this shitty black and white pretend uh granite spray or whatever so i thought that was an interesting thing uh i really like the afterlife waiting room which had a very similar motif i thought that was really really interesting yeah i do love we didn't really get into this uh, too much, but I do love just all the all the different dead people that we see. Yeah, throughout, like just. I really like how. All, sorry. <laughs> I'm just gonna say there's there's one guy in the waiting room who has like a shark on his leg. Like, <laughs> so, so preposterous! <laughs> like they both died. <laughs> no, ah, that's so silly. Yeah. So yeah, that that was maybe my favorite. Oh, and then the the magician's assistant who got cut in half. That was pretty great. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I guess those were the two main ones. Somebody who choked on something. Yeah, it was he was wearing like a chicken a chicken bib and had like this preposterous oh, the, cartoon. Yeah, like bone, chicken bone. Chicken yeah. bone in his throat. <laughs> I did like how all the uh, uh, bureaucrats in the afterlife were basically suicide. Oh, yeah, not basically. That was... Yeah. She, yeah. Like, Juno cut her, she slit her throat. Uh, the uh, Argentina, uh, the the receptionist with the Argentina sash. Yeah. Had her little accident. 
Yeah. The guy who's um, a little flat. I think that was the punchline of his joke. The guy who hanged himself. Yeah. <laughs> the guy on the news who's just like passing out papers <laughs> to desks. <laughs> like that's his eternity. Yeah. Like, oh, you thought your life was bad. <laughs> Wait till you see what's the afterlife. Although Beetlejuice found a way around it. That's true. The That's another... Ah, I love that joke, the bio-exorcist. <laughs> it's like he's taking exorcism and reversing it. Yeah. Right? He's he's the, the holy the holy man who's who's dispelling the demons, right? He's he's ridding you of those pesky living people. <laughs> oh man, there's so much. It's, it's such a beautiful universe that they make. <laughs> it is so a shame we haven't seen more. I guess there was a cartoon. Ah, uh, I was just about to say that. I, I never saw it, but... I saw a few episodes. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add for aesthetics? There's hours I want to add more, <laughs> but I don't think we have time for that. All right. So aesthetics, I give it a 10 out of 10. Me too. Hands down. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> the doy. <laughs> All right. So that's going to bring us to impact on film. Do I'll you have... let you go first. All right. Because I'm such a gentleman. Ladies first. No, you're just going to copy me. Pretty much. All right. So impact on film. This one gets divided up into critical impact, audience cult impact, and historical and inspirational impact. Critical impact, I usually just go to Metacritic and, you know, divide by 10, use that. Um, this one, the Metacritic score was a 69 which seemed a little bit low to me because I know I know critics like this movie and I know critics like Tim Burton, especially back in the day. Um, so that seemed a little bit low to me. So I went ahead and I, I can't even really call this rounding up, but I gave it a 7.5 out of 10 for Critical Impact, even though probably a 7 would be more accurate. Um, but I just feel like it's got it's got more than than this 69. That's that's too low and i don't know i didn't look at where like was that from when when the movie was new was that from like a dvd release like i don't know when oh, yeah that's true that's a hard thing to tell yeah for older movies it, it can get iffy um but i didn't even usually i'll go in and look and see the dates of the reviews and i didn't really feel like that was super necessary for this one i feel like i've got a pretty good idea of where the critics stand on this one so i just looked at the score to kind of gauge where i should go from there and then just went up to a 7.5 i feel like that's fair i probably could have even gone a little bit higher but i didn't want to go crazy with it so 7.5 for critical impact Audience and cult impact. This one I did a similar thing. I looked at the audience scores on several different websites and kind of created my own aggregate to, to judge uh, how, the, how the audience feel about it. And I think it came to like an 8.2-ish was the average, which again, I know this movie has a huge cult impact and the people who love it, love it. Um, so I felt pretty safe, again, quote unquote, rounding up. I guess I could have done an 8.5, but I went right to a nine for that one. Um, just basically giving an extra point for the cult impact. Like, yeah, there's the audience score and kind of the general feel of, of an average of of how how fans are rating it. But then the people who love it, love it. So, so you rounded it from a seven point something to a nine. No, it was like an 8.2. 8.2, okay. 7.5, that was, um, uh, whatchamacallit, Critical Impact. I rounded from a 6.9 to a 7.5. Okay. 
uh, which again, rounded is <laughs> is a little iffy. <laughs> um, and let's see, and then historical and inspirational impact. That one I also gave a nine out of ten. Um, I might think that one's pretty self-explanatory. It definitely kickstarted Tim Burton's career. I mean, he had oh, all the yeah. shorts before he had Pee Wee's Big Adventure before, but this was really, you know, really let the world know, oh, this is Tim Burton. This is his style. This is what he's going to do. And yeah, yeah. and most of his movies after this, at least for the next 10 or 20 years, have the same vibe, same, you know, same aesthetics, a lot of the same cast. Um, and I feel like it did a similar thing for Winona Ryder. She was in a yeah. couple of things before this, but this was really like where the world got to know, oh, this is Winona Ryder. She's someone to keep an eye on. She became like America's sweetheart for a really long time. Is that the right term? Or the it girl, I guess, is a better word for it. Like she was she was the it girl for sure. a lot of the 90s. Um, and it, it really started here. So there was a lot going on as far as um, particularly people's careers as far as it you know jump-starting that um and then just the whole style i feel like a lot of filmmakers have been inspired by tim burton's style mm -hmm. which again kind of started with with Wee's big adventure but really solidified and kick-started after this absolutely 100 percent agree compared to Wee's uh playhouse uh i think this is similar in that it says like you can be like dark you can be tragic but you can still be comedic and it can still be uplifting. Yeah. It can still be optimistic in a suit in a certain way, which I think is gonna shine through in some of Tim Burton's later movies. Oh yeah. But I think this is a good introduction to that. A good a good segue from how things were before Tim Burton <laughs> to after Tim Burton. I do think it's interesting. This has been talked about in length elsewhere, so I won't go into too much detail. But did you know this movie was originally supposed to be like a really dark horror movie? And then in a in subsequent drafts, they changed it to a comedy. Yeah. Like it was going to be like Lydia was like a tertiary character and she was going to have a little sister who was like five and the little kid could see ghosts. And like the the Beetlejuice character, instead of being a ghost, he was going to be a demon who like... I don't know, killed the five-year-old or was going to try and kill the five-year-old and, like, raped Lydia instead of tried to marry her. Like, it, it was, like, dark. I think there's even... I could be wrong on this, but I feel like I've heard people talk about there being a draft of that script floating around somewhere. But it might just be details. I don't know. Oof. But, yeah, it was supposed to be, like, a really dark, like, horror movie. And then they're like, eh, no, let's make it quirky and a funny comedy. Thank goodness they did. Not that the first version, I mean, I like horror movies. I'm, I'm all for it, but this is a great movie. I'm glad we got this little bit of weirdness. A little bit of weirdness, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, on that note, my impact on film came out to an 8.5. How impact about you? Impact on film. Oof. Wow, that's really interesting. Impact on film, 8.33. Outstanding. All right, so then that's going to bring us to overall enjoyment. Did you enjoy this movie? <laughs> 10 out of 10. I love this movie. I love this movie as a teenager for so many reasons. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of movies growing up, but this is a movie that just caught my attention because it's so, so freaking weird. It's just bizarre. And that's great. I love it. <laughs> that's one of the things I love about Tim Burton 
I guess I'm a fan of Tim Burton just through genetics or or whatever. I don't know. I can't. I cannot help myself. If Tim Burton makes a movie, I'm probably gonna like it. And and this one, I love it. I love the aesthetics. Uh, I love the quirkiness. I love the weirdness. Back in the day, I had some pretty strong feelings for. Pretty strong feelings. What were you gonna say for Winona Ryder? Well, I was going to, but I'm not now. <laughs> This was such a funny way of phrasing it. Well, I'm not now. I'm not going to say it now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I had strong feelings for the key grip because I <laughs> thought the grip work on this movie was beautiful. <laughs> I I actually, as a kid, uh, memorized uh, Otho's uh, speech to uh, raise Barbara and then raise uh, Adam from the dead. And then he like continued to kill them. Because it's actually three different things. It's it's very technical. You wouldn't understand until you look it up, uh, <laughs> which I did. I I just I just love this movie. I enjoyed it as uh, I don't know thirteen year old when I first saw it. The age when you first saw it has varied drastically throughout this podcast. I, I have no idea when I first saw this. I can tell because you've gone from like 10 to 15 at various points throughout this podcast. It was somewhere in there. (laughs) That sounds about right. Well, I also really enjoyed this movie. Not quite as much as you. I gave it a 9 out of 10. It's definitely one I would go back to again and again and again. And it's definitely, especially this time of year when we're getting close to Halloween, it's definitely like a fun, kooky, creepy Halloween type movie but I would watch this movie any year or any time of the year I should say like it's not specifically a Halloween movie it's just fun and it's definitely I will say of the movies that I have reviewed this year for Halloween on the podcast this is by far my favorite I really like my I guess I shouldn't say by far Nightmare Before Christmas also Tim Burton (laughs) was pretty high up there as well um, but definitely, I mean, this this rated the highest as far as overall enjoyment goes. It's exactly my brand of weird. Like it's, <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's one that I liked as a teenager. It's one that I like now. I haven't seen it as many times as you. I didn't get into it quite like you did. <laughs> but it's not the mummy. I'll grant <sighs> you that. Yeah, well, uh, that's gonna be season two on the podcast. We'll get to it. I can't even explain it. I had a thing for it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoy this movie. It's it's Tim Burton at his finest. It's it's fun. Uh, so, so I gave it a 9 out of 10. Did you give this movie any extra credit? I did. A few All right. points. All right. I only gave, I gave a half point for one thing. It sounds like you've got more. So you can go for a little bit and then I'll give mine and... All right. So first of all, I I really like that the first time we're introduced to Beetlejuice, it's a TV commercial. It reminded me of like a used car salesman. And it reminded me of here in Sacramento and in California, we have Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. That was the shit back in the day. (laughs) This dude like sold used cars and he had a cowboy hat and he was like jumping around and doing things and he had his dog Spot and... Like, I think sometimes he had, like, a bear. He had, like, (laughs) wild animals. And he was just, like, this old dude who had a cowboy hat. And Cal Worthington, his dog spot, (laughs) he was, like, really into selling cars. And if you want a car, buy a car. Cal Worthington, his dog spot. So I I thought that was really funny and really neat. I mean, I don't think that was based on Cal Worthington, (laughs) his dog spot. 
I Man, don't think I'm gonna so. get so much money and kickbacks from Cal Worthington <laughs> and his dog Spot. Wade Boggs Carpet World. Wade Boggs Carpet World. <laughs> exactly. But I just I just love that we meet Beetlejuice, who is ostensibly the hero of the story, the protagonist, uh, the man who the story is named after. That does not make him the protagonist. No. Either way. He is the antagonist. You're either a crazy way, person. We meet him through like these shitty ads that fall out of a book or a, a, a magazine when you flip through it and then the ads fall out. Or, or your TV suddenly turns on and it's Cal Worthington is, <laughs> I mean, um, Beetlejuice and his Beetlejuice. I thought that was really fun, really neat. <laughs> I like that. So I get one point for that, that we were introduced to him in such a bizarre way. I gave another point because I was a really stupid kid. <laughs> I tell that. Um, I didn't get a lot of jokes. And one of the jokes that... I thought I got, but it turns out I was a dumbass. Was um, so there's a scene where Beetlejuice is in the model, and he uh, he gets those thorns to uh, stab Barbara in her hand. Implies that he is now covered in horns, being horny, and then this uh, red light district house shows up in Adam's perfect utopian town so then Beetlejuice goes to that and then they go to the afterlife and Juno's like she she says the whorehouse was my idea so the last time I watched this movie I was like the whorehouse was my idea as in horror meaning h-o-r-r-o-r being <laughs> like spooky ghosts and like ooh, you're gonna get scared <laughs> and then now I'm seeing it's like yeah it's prostitutes it's hookers <laughs> I give a point for that. That was okay. a very long story for one yeah. point. Also, I give one point because this may have been my first movie obsession. Have like you I had said, many? No, not really. <laughs> I've had a few, but yeah, I'll give it a point for that. This is, I think this is the first movie where I was like, I love this movie. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to memorize it. I want to be a weird kid. <laughs> I did it. So I give it a point for that. Um, I also gave it a point because, and this is totally double dipping into everything, every category, everywhere. This is just so damn fun and so Tim Burton weird. Yeah. And I love it unapologetically. Point for that. So All right. That's it. Uh, and there's one more. I really like. <laughs> like that's it. There's one more. No, I mean, I meant that that's it for that one point. <laughs> It's Tim Burton. It's weird. I love it. If you don't like, if you don't, if you disagree, yeah, I don't care. The, my last point of extra credit is that there's no real antagonist. There's no bad guy. I'm still confused by that. You don't think Beetlejuice is a bad guy? He's definitely the antagonist. Like 1000%. Beetlejuice does not prevent the hero of the story from being the hero, do they? Does, does he? That's not the role of an antagonist. An antagonist just gets in the way of things. He definitely gets in the way of things. He tries to marry Lydia, and there's a whole point in the story where everybody's trying to stop that, and he is literally stopping them from yeah. stopping him. But I she guess. agreed. She agreed to that. That doesn't mean it's any less... Like, just because she was willing to self-sacrifice doesn't make 
his actions okay. I'm not saying he's like the hero that we should all strive to be. I'm not saying that at all. He's definitely the antagonist, though. At least in the last act. Maybe not in the middle, but no, he's definitely the antagonist. I'll have to think about it. (laughs) Well, that's a possible fifth point. I'll bump it down to four points because I'm not super sure about that last one. So I would actually say now that I'm sorry, I kind of interrupted you, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think it depends on who you think the protagonist is. If the protagonist is Lydia, then Beetlejuice would be the bad guy. If the protagonists are Barbara and Adam, then the antagonists would be the New Yorkers moving Mm -hmm. in. But either way, you've got clear antagonists. You could even say there's a shift in in the beginning of the movie. The humans are the antagonists. And by the end of the movie, Beetlejuice is the antagonist. There's a shift. Well, maybe antagonist was not the right word. Maybe there's there's no no one is evil. Again, I would ask, you don't think Beetlejuice is evil? I don't think coercing a teenager to be your wife is evil? It's like child bride shit going on. That's evil. I'm not saying it's good ha- It's good times, it's happy times. Like you said, he doesn't make the rules. I don't even think, I'm pretty sure he was lying. I don't think he needed to get married. I think he just wanted a child bride. I'm pretty sure Maybe he was he just lying. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. I I did say that I retracted that point of extra credit. Okay. For there being no real antagonist as I worded it. I I, I guess I should have worded it. No no evil villain. All right. So (laughs) that's my five. No, sorry. Minus one, four points of extra credit. How about you? I, I just gave it the half point of extra credit for one thing which is something I don't think I'll need to elaborate on. And it's just how much you loved it. I do love it. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Like this, I don't even feel like this was a movie, like when I suggested like, oh, this movie, I guess I never even said this has like a 30th anniversary coming up or possibly just passed. Um, but yeah, when I first suggested like, oh, Beetlejuice has an anniversary, we should review it. I don't feel like you're like, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Like you didn't. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I guess. Like, you were pretty neutral on it. So I was like, oh, yeah. we'll see We'll see how this goes. I don't know how much we'll have to talk about. And then we start watching it, and you're quoting along like a little kid and getting so excited. And, yeah. and I love it. I like seeing you excited. And you don't get that way with movies very often. And it was, it was a fun surprise. I really was not expecting that. Especially because I'm pretty sure we watched this together once before. Now I'm doubting it because we're both so unsure, but I'm pretty sure when we first started dating, somewhere in the first year that we started dating, we watched it. But maybe maybe if it was new enough in our relationship, maybe you were holding back your excitement and maybe I wasn't as excited about it. And it just kind of was like, oh, that was a fun movie. Like, I don't know. To be honest, I'm also surprised at how much I love this. (laughs) I forgot. How much I love this and how many times I watched it. I watched the scene where Otho summons the dead so many times that I memorized it. And I'm proud of that. I'm loud and proud. <laughs> I watched it. But I, 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 I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I am also surprised at how much I love this movie. All right. Uh, so on that note, unless there's anything you want to add, what did your total come out to? My total... First of all, 
My total is outstanding. Fair enough. What's yours? Uh, mine is also outstanding. Okay. Mine is 96.73. Wow. That's got to be a record high for you. It's that is. High. Uh, that's one of the record highs for the podcast overall, I think. Uh, of course, uh, Sammy rating Nightmare Before Christmas. That was definitely the highest so far <laughs> uh, with over 100. But I'm not sure. Uh, I know Annihilation for me was pretty high. Yeah, that is a, that's, a, that's a high score. I'm, I'm surprised. Mine was not that high. <laughs> it was yeah, 82.2 for me. Still in the outstanding range, but on the lower end of it. So we're pretty much just on. We both think it's outstanding, but I'm on the low end and you're on the high end. And I will say we decided during one of these reviews, I don't even remember which one now, that anything over a 97.5 would be considered perfect in my book because it's close enough. Yeah. Um, so this didn't get to that range for you. It's just shy of not technically, but basically perfect in my book. But still really high. That's a... Uh, gotta be the highest you've rated anything uh i think this could be higher if it had some dutch angles well it had a few maybe a little more maybe like high angle looking down or low angle looking up or depth of focus a little more camera work that's not what you were aiming for but i said it so cut it out if I, you want no i mean i completely agree this is definitely um, I think had the sound mix been um, a little cleaner yeah, for my taste, that would that. have uh, boosted the score a little bit. And uh, camera work. I think those are the two biggest things for me. Uh, mostly camera work because really, I mean, one subcategory isn't going to make that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. But cinematography, camera work was, uh, I think, the weakest score overall. And uh yeah, that was easily the weakest. And sound. So if those two had been a little more to my liking, this would easily be be a, a highly scoring movie. But as far as entertainment value goes, I mean, hands down. Go go watch this movie. I don't oh, care yeah. if you've seen it before or if you haven't. If you want to have fun and just watch a movie, just go watch this movie. If it's been a few years since you watched it, yeah. go watch this movie. It was very fun. Yeah. If you watched it last week, go watch it again. Like, it's especially this time of year it's got repeatability it's it's fun it's quirky it's everything we've said already it's it's a great movie the lovable and beautiful masterpiece that's what you're trying to say i said it for eh, you. masterpiece is a little bit strong but outstanding that's <laughs> i feel like outstanding is pretty close to a masterpiece but it's definitely worth watching even if you don't like Tim Burton, you don't like horror or whatever, like if you're at all interested in movies, yeah. this is one you should see because I do think it was really influential and it's inspired by, like I said, German expressionism is like, seems to be a pretty direct influence, at least to nerds like me. Um, so, I mean, there, I don't know, there's all, all kinds of reasons as far as like what it's inspired since, what it was inspired by and, you know, the careers it kickstarted. So even if it's not your bag, there's a lot of reasons to watch this movie and a lot of reasons to yeah. appreciate this movie. All right. So with that said, is there anything you'd like to add for Beetlejuice? I forgot how much I love this movie <laughs> and how thoroughly enjoyable and beautiful and amazing this movie is. All right. Well, I'm glad I asked you to do this episode then. 
So am I. More <laughs> more than I thought it would be. Well, on that note, I think that's going to wrap everything up for this episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's going to be, uh, I think I'm going to be posting two episodes next week. I haven't quite decided yet, so that could be wrong by the time this posts. Uh, but there's just two episodes left of Marvel Monday. We've got Age of Ultron and Ant-Man both coming up. And then that's going to wrap up phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as season one of Nitty Gritty Reviews. And then we'll be back in January with, like I said, new sound setup. I'm going to do a bunch of research on how to use that sound setup and great movies lined up. Uh, hopefully I'll get the website set up so that you'll be able to see a calendar of events or uh, of, you know upcoming episodes and everything. Uh, it's going to be at grittyfilms.com. Uh, should be should be great. So looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to learn how you can help support Gritty Films, you can check out our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash grittyfilms. And to learn more about the grid rating system, you can find that over at the website at grittyfilms.com slash the grid. And don't forget, Gritty Films is spelled G-R-I-D-D-Y. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again for your patience as we are working out some sound quality issues. Uh, but I think this episode's going to be pretty good. I'm excited to get it out there. Uh, see ya next week.